Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmer's Day, July 13th, 2020. On the show today, I visit the Magic Kingdom during its previews, and Disney sends out some slightly scary surveys. And in our main segment, Jim tells us about the rides that would have been built for Disney's America theme park back in the 1990s. Let's get started by bringing in the man who asks whether Lightning McQueen gets life insurance or car insurance. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? Have you ever seen that cutaway drawing of Lightning McQueen? Remember in your biology book where they they do the cutaway of like the human circulatory system? Or <laughs> trust me, you cannot unsee Lightning McQueen. It's like okay, well, so that's where his tongue is, and you know that's where his brain is, and it's just really good. Not need to see this. <laughs> I never. It sounds like the stuff of nightmares, Jim. Yeah, yeah, very much so, and and <laughs> which brings us to our time, your time with the Magic Kingdom. <laughs> That's right. We'll talk about that shortly. Okay, uh, Jim. Quickly before we do that, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over to DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Uh, Jim, twelve weeks, three months in a row with a record number of Bandcamp subscribers. Thank you all so much. I hope you all enjoyed the in park walk around we did of the Magic Kingdom on the first day it reopened back on Tuesday. And we're going to do more of those in-park walk-arounds for Bandcamp subscribers uh, this week as well. Thanks to new subscribers Hillary S., Matt M., and Leslie H., and longtime subscribers John K., Russell D., and Bobby Lily222. Jim, these are the folks who are developing Disney's new line of ShamWow cleaning fabrics that are being used to clean down all the rides in the Magic Kingdom. And soon, your own house and car. True story. More to the effect, I've been watching the footage of them spraying down the ride vehicles with what looks like the the weed killer container. And I dearly hope it's like, this is the cleaner, right? Not the weed killer. Okay, good. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Due to a mix-up in the, in the house and garden section of uh, Disney's maintenance, I now have no hair on my toes. <laughs> but beyond that, it was a great time. Yeah. So, uh, so what Jim references is... The fact that for rides like Splash Mountain, the way that Disney is cleaning the rides is they've got these hand-operated pumps, like the kind you would buy at Home Depot, like the one or two gallon-sized jugs that look like mini fire extinguishers. And they've got those, and they're filled with cleaning solution. And they've got cast members who will pump up the air pressure in these containers and then spray down all of the insides of the ride vehicles, like the in- entire inside of the seating area at Splash Mountain, when there are no guests on it, obviously. And then they'll run those things through, but they'll uh, they'll wand it down, like, much like you're spraying weeds on sidewalks mm-hmm. to do it. And that's the cleaning process. And we'll, we'll get started on this now. Okay. But the uh, cleaning processes are everywhere in the Magic Kingdom. So I, uh, a number of our listeners mm-hmm. uh, who are cast members invited me to be their guest for Magic Kingdom previews on Tuesday, July 7th. Also, I got into the regular annual pass holder preview yesterday, Thursday, July 9th as well. So I've been to the Magic Kingdom now twice mm. in the last three days. And I got to say, it went uh, really, really well. So to start off, all kinds of new security and screening processes, as you can imagine. When you arrive at the TTC at the Magic Kingdom and you go to park, they're actually parking every other spot in a row right now. So they're leaving one empty parking space. Mm-hmm. between each family. And then when that row fills up and everyone presumably has now walked to the trams or to the TTC, they'll fill in every other other spot again, all the empty spots. Now, it's, so, it, uh, it, it's yeah. interesting you mentioned this because Seth Kversky did this evidently yesterday. 
Yep. And was talking about how it did slow down the parking process, obviously. Well, because you're, you're now going twice as far for the same number of cars. There you go. Amazingly, of the 500 or so people that were in the Magic Kingdom yesterday, because there were not many, mm-hmm. I didn't see Seth, which is kind of amazing. <laughs> or, or maybe I did, and it was just the masks that, could, that kind of could be, prevented could us be. from recognizing each other. Although, yeah. I will say, as go, I was going through t- the TTC, mm-hmm. I recognized Lou Mangello. So I said hey to Lou and his family. Mm-hmm. And so Lou apparently has one of, is, is distinctive enough looking that even with a mask on, we all know who he is. So that was good to say. Anyway, so, uh, so you end up at the TTC. And there they have giant white tents set up to do temperature screenings. And so the, the temperature screenings are relatively straightforward. You walk into a tent, they uh, use a touchless uh, laser-like device to do your temperature uh, on your forehead. Mm-hmm. And then you walk through to regular security. The interesting thing was I thought I was going to be clever on Tuesday and get uh, have breakfast at Bay Lake Tower and then just walk over trying to avoid the long lines and the long line for parking at the Magic Kingdom, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, I have a breakfast reservation at the Wave. I get there like at 7.15. I have a lovely breakfast. It was great. And then I start walking over. And as soon as I get to the corner where you're supposed to cross the street to go to the Magic Kingdom, a bunch of cast members, uh, security guards from the other side were yelling at me to go back. So the walkway wasn't open from Bay Lake Tower to the Magic Kingdom. Hmm. And Jim, we've said this before, but mm-hmm. it, anytime Disney opens anything, it comes as a complete surprise. <laughs> To about half the company. In this case, security didn't think that anyone would be walking from the Contemporary or Bay Lake Tower over the Magic Kingdom on the day that the Magic Kingdom opened. Fine. So that's okay. So I walked back to the Bay Lake. And and the good thing was, is there were actually cast members there who saw what happened. Mm -hmm. And they called transport. And a a transportation manager came over and said, okay, we're going to get you guys a bus. There were Mm -hmm. a few of us at this point that uh, that had happened. So they bring a bus in and the transportation manager comes out. And does a temperature screening for all of us and then asks us a series of questions. Have you been in an airport in the last 14 days? Have you been to any of these states in the last 14 days? Has anyone that you know been in an airport or, uh, you know, in any states in the last 14 days? Do you have a temperature and so on, stuff like that, right? What do you make of the have you been to an airport question? I mean, I get that supposedly the only people going to the parks right now are Florida residents, but... That's an interesting question. Right. Uh, and it'll be more interesting when I tell you what happened on Thursday. Okay. So, you know, we all answered no to that. Um, mm-hmm. And then they let us board the bus. And the interesting thing about the buses are maximum capacity now of 25 people per bus. So we had thought it was going to be around 20. It turns out mm-hmm. they've uh, put up plastic partitions between like every three or four seats, every two to four seats. Mm-hmm. So each There are six sections in each bus. Sections range in size from two to four people, Mm -hmm. and they're socially distant. So, you know, there were two groups of us. We got in socially distant uh, different areas for the bus. And at the last minute, they realized that they could just drive us over to the Magic Kingdom, Mm -hmm. which was probably the smart thing instead of taking us back to the TTC, which is where they told us we were originally going to go. So we drove, Mm -hmm. Jim, from Bay Lake Tower (laughs) to the Magic Kingdom. Fine, (laughs) right? I've... It, 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 Disney will never run that bus route again. I got to do it once. It was cool. So we get off the bus and they rescreen us again. Temperature mm-hmm. checks, questions, everything again. And we get into the Magic Kingdom and everything is great. By the way, I want to uh, give a special shout out to uh, to my friends Nate and Elijah, mm-hmm. who were cast members that I saw in the park. Mm-hmm. We had a fabulous lunch, which I'll talk about. But they were super cool. We walked around with them for a little bit okay. uh, on Tuesday. So my uh, my other friends get me into the park and it's 
it's magical, right? Mm-hmm. Just to be back in the park gave me a warm, glowy feeling all over. When I when I entered, it was a little bit before nine o'clock. Mm-hmm. There were more cast members working than there were cast members enjoying the park, right? There, mm-hmm. there were so many people out mm-hmm. making sure that everything was going right and everyone was in a good mood, right? I mean, just it was it was the best possible environment to open up uh, a theme park under the circumstances. It went super, super well. The oh, the, the funny thing was, so I was, I was listening to, to, I had other friends who were cast members who were coming in mm-hmm. and they were telling me, like we, we were comparing notes as we were walking down Main Street. And apparently the security and transportation parking processes changed four times before noon on day one. So, so they, they had apparently stopped people from coming into the toll booths mm-hmm. around 8.30 while they figured out what to do next mm-hmm. with the parking situation. And then the screening apparently changed again, and then the bus riding changed. So four changes in transportation and security before noon on day one. But I think by, by Thursday, they, they got it all uh, nailed down. I will say this. There are three ways now that you can get from the TTC to the Magic Kingdom. You can take the ferry and they load the ferry from the top down to the bottom and you can't sit anywhere on the ferry now. So there's no seating. They're, uh, they're making sure that everyone is socially distant. And because of that, you, you can't sit down. Um, you can also take the monorail and it's the same situation. You have to have a seat on the monorail. You can't stand. Mm-hmm. And they're separating. Uh, they're making sure that each uh, seat is occupied by one group. So they're not going to mix people from two different groups in the same set of seats. The third option is to take the bus. And I think the bus is the fastest. For, so for any of our listeners who are uh, coming into the Magic Kingdom anytime soon, if you have your three choices, ferry, monorail, and bus, and any of those lines look, uh, the, if the monorail line looks long, like if you can see it coming down the ramp, you know, if, you, if you're looking at the ferry and there's a line to get on the ferry, the bus is probably your fastest way to get to the Magic Kingdom because it can only hold uh, 25, uh, you know, 25 people. Mm-hmm. So it fills up really fast and then the bus takes off and drops you off. So okay. take the bus. Okay. Makes sense. So you get in the park, 100% mask compliance, as you can imagine, everywhere. Lots of plexiglass everywhere, hand sanitizers everywhere. At the beginning and end of each ride, they've got freestanding hand sanitizers and they're everywhere. In fact, the, the thing that I noticed is by the middle of the day, your hands actually start to get sticky from the hand sanitizer residue. Mm-hmm. that's less left over. So you actually want to wash your hands in between the hand sanitizer, just get that residue off. Also, um, your hands will start to dry out even in the Florida humidity because mm-hmm. you're washing them uh, so often. So a little bit of lotion there, maybe um, right before, right after lunch, probably not a, uh, not a bad idea there. Okay. First ride went on Jim. You want to take a guess? Coming into the park. Uh, Space Mountain. That's right. Swiss family Treehouse. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, really? <laughs> sure. Jim, there was no one in Adventureland when I was there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I went up and ran in and, uh, you know, there's a couple of social distancing signs in there, but uh, I got up, got a couple of quick photos of Adventureland, got to scope out, you know, what you can see from the rest of the park, did mm-hmm. my quick run through of it, uh, got a little cardio in. I was about to say, the, the Swiss family Stairmaster. So, exactly. Yes, okay. So yeah. did that. And then I went on uh, Jungle Cruise and there was only... So it was me and a family of three on the on the Jungle Cruise. And and again, like the buses, they've got plastic partitions now up every couple of seats. Mm-hmm. And the Jungle Cruise narrators have a couple of new coronavirus jokes. Also, there were a bunch of jokes I hadn't heard before uh, on there as well. The uh, the skipper was very good. 
and it was it was the regular Jungle Cruise you know spiel. It was all mm-hmm. it was all very very good. Um, okay. So from there, I sort of made my way around clockwise through the park. So I went on um, Pirates after that, and I got to say, um, there are new effects in Pirates of the Caribbean. So Disney hasn't just reopened the ride. There are new smells. So mm-hmm. I think they um, they've added a projection smoke in the uh, burning town scene towards the end. Mm-hmm. So now on the uh, on the buildings, you'll see white projection mapped smoke coming up from the flames. And also they've got new scents. So they've got the, uh, you know, the, the burning Rome smell mm-hmm. in Spaceship Earth. Yep. They've added that to the burning town scene. And also they've got a new scent, you know, where the, um, between the auction scene and the burning city, the burning town scene, mm-hmm. you, you pass under a uh, drunk pirate with his leg hanging over the... Uh, oh, please. Okay. No foot smell. <laughs> okay, it's not a foot smell. Jim, it's the smell that I... Uh, it's it's a sweet smell. The The best analogy I came up with mm-hmm. for what they're pumping in there is, you know those, um, those Halloween candy circus peanuts <sighs> that are like the size of your thumb and sort of like a marshmallow-y type thing? That's what it smelled like to me. And I don't I don't know what the association is there. And I could be wrong. I, I hope our listeners go on this ride and can come up with a better description of what it is. Okay. But, uh, but that's what that's that was my first thing. Okay. Well anyway, it, it was fantastic. It was right. it was great. And and let's let's applaud the fact that, you know, they restrained themselves from including wet dog smell during the key scene. Exactly. So then I made my way into Frontierland and I rode Big Thunder Mountain. And this is uh, this is where we saw other partitions. So you know mm-hmm. on Big Thunder where you're going down, you're in the queue, right? Mm-hmm. And you're walking up from the outside. And as soon as you get into the sort of the mining shack, you're sort of shoulder to shoulder mm-hmm. potentially with the fast pass line. Anytime now that you're shoulder to shoulder in any queue, whether it's Space Mountain, Big Thunder Mountain, anything like that, Splash Mountain. Um, there are these uh, tall, like seven foot tall plexiglass, clear plexiglass partitions separating you from the other people on the other side. So even if you're next to someone, there's a barrier between them. So uh, they nobody can breathe or cough on somebody else. The interesting thing about them, was, mm-hmm. these partitions were, they're color coordinated to the attraction. I was about to say, during your walk through the kingdom, you talked about this, and I love this attention to detail. Please, please go ahead. Yeah, so in uh, Big Thunder, you know, you're sort of in a brown mining mm-hmm. shack, and the supports and the structure that holds these plexiglass in place are brown, and then they're weathered mm-hmm. to look like they fit in, you know, all the other stuff. And in Space Mountain, they're blue. In Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, you're in a mine with wood supports, but it's a different color brown. That they have. So Disney's really tried to color coordinate the safety mechanisms to fit the theming of the ride. And I think it, it looks really, really good. They were interesting for like five minutes, but by like the second day, I was like, oh, those are just the barriers. Like it's, it didn't even process in, in my mind that it was, it was different. So they're there. Mm-hmm. They, it looks like they're working. But after the second time you see them, it's just the new normal and, and you forget about it. That part was fine. Also, um, Disney seems to have done the same thing as Universal in that the social distance markers on the ground for each ride allow for groups of people to stand in the same space. So those social distance markers are anywhere from 10 to 12 feet apart, mm-hmm. which allows groups of like four or six to sort of congregate without sort of squishing into the space of everyone else. If they put them six feet apart, for example, and you had two groups of you know four to six people, then you could see that the edges of the two groups would have been closer than six feet together. This is Disney's and Universal's way of ensuring that there's at least six feet 
in between each group. Okay. So that was good. Mm-hmm. And Disney was putting these things down all over the place. In fact, they were finishing them on Tuesday as we were putting them down. By the way, Jim, uh, so that was Frontierland. I, then we, I took a break and walked over to the castle. Have you seen the, you haven't seen the castle in person, Jim. It looks really, really good in person. Mm-hmm. Uh, but here's my question to listeners. Is the, are the turrets, the tiles on the turrets, are they blue or are they purple? Like this is the new blue dress, gold dress thing, I think. It's my new meme. At various points yesterday, I could have mm-hmm. sworn it was blue and then I could have sworn it was purple. And I think Disney's actually added an iridescent element to the roof tiles so that they change color depending on the light. Getting back to John Hench, and you know, he was the king of color as far as the parks were concerned. But he actually talked about the lessons they learned the hard way in 71, 72, 73 about they'd paint things and then they'd put them out in the Florida sun. And it wasn't just that the brutal sun would lighten the color over you know a year to 18 months, but it was also the col- the quality of light in Florida is noticeably different. Yeah. And it was just yeah. sort of like, wow, that's, you know, standing at the end of Main Street and looking up at the castle, and it's like, that's so much more washed out than I thought it would be. The funny thing about that is you, mm-hmm. you could see, because they hadn't finished painting the castle, mm-hmm. and you could see how light the old light gray color scheme was mm-hmm. after, you know, years and years in the sun. But the funniest thing was, did you see my... um my social media pictures of the numbers of the bricks. I did, and I love that. I just, I, you know, the the painter's standing there. It's like, well, hang, okay, that's a five. Hang on, <laughs> hold on, I gotta get the. So, for our listeners who haven't seen it yet, every brick on the castle and every brick on the, you know, the walls behind the castle now that sort of separate old Fantasyland from new Fantasyland. Well, Disney's repainting those, mm-hmm. and on Tuesday they hadn't finished repainting them, and there were painting crews out that were painting the bricks. But if you if you look closely. At photographs of the old paint scheme, you'll notice that the wall isn't one uniform color. Mm-hmm. It's actually slightly different colors. In fact, we know now that there are six of them. And the reason why we know that there are six of them is that in the unpainted sections that we could see mm-hmm. on the castle and on the turret walls, every single brick was numbered one to six. With it. And the idea is that uh, the painters, the paint crew, had mm-hmm. six different buckets of paint. And if you're in front of a bunch of bricks that are that have a number one in front of them, you open up the can of paint with color number one, and you paint that brick. And then if you're next to a number two, you paint that brick number, you know, whatever color number two is, all the way through number six. And it looked like uh, the paint crew had gotten through colors one through three mm-hmm. on Tuesday because the numbers that were left were four, five, and six. So it's a so the castle uh, is what I'm saying, Jim, is a giant paint by number set. Because I'm a terrible person, all I could think of is sitting at home with my laser printer and painting up a clear 35. <laughs> just sort of was, slapping that up there and seeing what happens. You know, that's just, what I was thinking. Like, like, could we get a picture of this and duplicate this as a as a paint by number scheme? Ooh, I'd like that. Like, better. like why is Disney not selling this of all things? Mm. Oh. So that was the castle. The other thing that we saw, starting about 10.15 in the morning, mm-hmm. we saw the new mini parade floats. Have you seen these? Yeah. And I'm fascinated that I'm seeing parade floats that I don't recognize. Right. They, they seem to be cut down, individualized parade floats. The vast mm-hmm. majority of them hold one to five characters. Mm-hmm. So Disney said that they're not doing 
regular parades anymore. But what they are doing are these these mini parades. So what they'll do is starting in Frontierland in the Splash Mountain area, mm-hmm. they'll run one parade float out, and there'll be a small group of you know six to eight dancers in the front, and a small group of six to eight, maybe ten dancers in the back, with you know a few security people you know clearing the way. And the the first parade float we saw was with uh, Minnie, Mickey, Pluto, and I think Daisy on it. And he they were using their Mickey's birthday confetti outfit. Mm-hmm. And they're playing, you know, popular Disney music or whatever. But the parade will start in Splash Mountain and go all the way through to Main Street. But I love it. And the reason why I love it is it, it, there are a few reasons. One, it's super short. You don't have to like schedule 30 minutes in advance to be on Main Street, you know, for the three o'clock parade. It doesn't take up an hour of your time to watch the parade. Basically, you can see the parade as you're walking to somewhere else in the park. Number two, the fact that it's there's only one parade in the float means that uh, your attention is entirely focused on that one float. And I think the performers really enjoy being the focus of attention. They're not, you know, you're not the 37th float in, in line like it's the Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade or anything, right? You're not sort of blending into your own little crowd inside the parade. The performers know that everyone who's watching the parade is watching only them. Mm-hmm. And I think they're they're really enjoying it. The third thing I like is... The parades, these new parades don't cut off half the park from the other half of the park. Because mm-hmm. remember when the regular parade runs, it's virtually impossible to get from Adventureland to Fantasyland, right? You've, you've got to break through a security barrier like, like you're trying to get through the Berlin Wall back in mm-hmm. the 60s, right? Very hard to get. But here, you know, basically you wait 30 seconds and then you walk behind the parade float and you're back on track. I hate to say, Jim, I actually like this parade better than I like the main parade. I like this idea. So that Mickey was one. Mm-hmm. Um, one, they have uh, Tinkerbell out mm-hmm. and she is doing a Pirates of the Caribbean sort of Tinkerbell theme on it. Mm-hmm. She's on a pile of money. Mm-hmm. And, the you know, it's funny because yesterday was like the heat index yesterday when I was in the park was 105 degrees. And remember, <sighs> that's 105 in the shade, right? Mm-hmm. It's hotter in the sun. And Tink comes out and she's got like bare shoulders on mm-hmm. and, you know, no, there's no umbrella over here. She's on top of a large parade float, which makes her even closer to the sun than the rest of us. And the first thing I, I think of is like, how much sunscreen did they pour on that poor girl <laughs> before they put like, like she, she literally has to be holding onto that parade float for dear life because the sunscreen is slippery that she's wearing. It's like, oh. it was, it was hot yesterday, Jim. Anyway, super great parade float. Tink mm-hmm. was awesome. The other thing we saw is um, Merida, Princess Merida on an actual horse. Going from Frontierland all the way down Main Street, that was kind of cool. I also recall seeing they brought out the trolley and had the oh, Winnie yeah, the Pooh yeah. characters on there. But it was interesting because they, I think it was Rabbit, Piglet, and Tigger. But then later in the day, they had those same characters up on the porch of the Crystal Palace, waving to people as they walked by. So it, it yeah, there's a lot of spontaneous character pop-ups. Also, over uh, on t- on the second floor of Country Bear Jamboree mm-hmm. was Liverlips and another one of the Country Bears mm-hmm. um, were there. But yeah, characters everywhere. Buzz Lightyear was in Tomorrowland. Stitch mm-hmm. was in Tomorrowland. Plenty of character opportunities. Now, speaking of which, though, I, I want to pause here for a moment because one of the photos that turned up is of, of you doing the social distancing selfie with Buzz Lightyear. And you're talking about how this is going to become an art form, framing the photo in just the way to get this. But yeah, let's talk about that hair, Mr. Testa. 
Okay. I don't, Jim, did you see that it, today it made the front page of the Tampa Bay Times? No, no, I did not. <laughs> that selfie. So okay. I got I got a call, I got an email from them yesterday yep. saying, Hey, would like to would like to use some of your photos from mm-hmm. the um from your Twitter feed, from mm-hmm. the Touring Plants Twitter feed for an article we're gonna do. And I'm like, sure, you know, mm-hmm. if you want, you know, I'm thinking they're gonna show the characters, you know, socially distant, they're gonna show people walking on masks. What ends up on the front page today, Jim? <laughs> Me and my hair and Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> I was like, we took like, I'm not kidding. We took like 250 photos. How did that? Like, and I will say, I will say this. I was, um, I was also testing out masks okay. while I was in the Magic Kingdom on Tuesday. And mm-hmm. I just happened to be wearing a green and blue colored mask that matched Buzz Lightyear's outfit. And I think that's why they went with it. Okay. But total coincidence. I didn't pick it out or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So great. Yeah, but my hair, geez. Yeah, what do you feed that thing? <laughs> the Cigarso C looks less unruly, <laughs> and that was that was relatively early in the day. It get it got worse as the day went on. Oof. Yeah, my my new goal now is to wait until the Main Street Barbershop opens up and then get a haircut there. Okay, instead of a wonderful lifeline, it's going to be a wonderful fro. It will actually it looks it looks good. Um, so I had a couple of lunches on. Tuesday, my first lunch with uh, our friends Nate and Elijah and Jen was at Liberty Tree Tavern. And when you walk inside, it, you know, they've got uh, chairs for you to sit at. Those now have green circles next to them so you can socially distance and sit. We waited for like three minutes and our table was called. Interesting thing about Liberty Tree Tavern, mm-hmm. they're doing dinner for lunch now. So remember, lunch menu used to be a la carte. Mm-hmm. Now it's the dinner menu. So you get the roast turkey, the roast pork, the pot roast macaroni and cheese, the mashed potatoes, the green beans, the cornbread, all of that comes out. Jim, it's it's like eating Thanksgiving and then going out into the Sahara. It was it was a great lunch. Well, no, I was about to say, you sounded so enthusiastic about the meal and how you enjoyed it, but just the notion of eating that way and then walking out into the heat index you just described, and it's just sort of like... By the way, Mr. Tester, here's your complimentary defibrillator. No, it was delicious, actually. Actually, I forgot about the best thing about it was mm-hmm. they do like a, an ooey gooey cake for dessert with ice cream. And I think when I order this from now on, I'm going to mm-hmm. say start with dessert. <laughs> and then if there's room left over, I will eat the mashed potatoes and green beans and stuff. Oh. It was amazing. Service was excellent. It wasn't very busy. I would say like one out of every five tables was filled. But again, it was opening day on a cast member preview day. I had heard, by the way, just for uh, rough attendance numbers, I heard maximum of 7,000 people mm-hmm. in the Magic Kingdom for that day. So very, very low capacity. And at that point in the day, there were not many people in the Breachy Tavern. But it was fantastic. Was this day you had two lunches? when you? It was. So okay. I went directly from here to another lunch with uh, more cast member friends of ours who had managed to get into Be Our Guest. Mm-hmm. And like Liberty Tree Tavern, Be Our Guest was doing dinner for lunch. So mm-hmm. a couple of things here. Remember, dinner is a fixed price, $62 per person meal that comes with your choice of appetizer, entree, and then everyone gets the same dessert. Mm-hmm. So if you know that you know going in, I think that's one thing. I didn't realize that. So we had four people. So dinner for us, pre-cast member discount was mm-hmm. $260. For lunch. Another good point that you had the defibrillator yeah, with Consumer you. advice. So. Consumer <laughs> advice, yeah. yeah. I will say it was the it was the best dinner, you know, mm-hmm. the, the best selection of food I've had for dinner in, in Be Our Guest ever. But here was the interesting thing. This is the first day back mm-hmm. for all of us, right? It was the first day back for me. Like I couldn't get through security 
because I didn't remember how to take stuff out of my bag to go through a metal detector. I was out of practice with mm-hmm. lots of things, right? But what I had heard from our, uh, our cast member who was our server at Be Our Guest was this. The way that they brought back servers to work in the restaurants was by seniority in the park. So, for example, if if you had worked at Crystal Palace for 40 years mm-hmm. and you were number one in the Magic Kingdom on security, uh, on seniority, they called you back first. And they said, look, mm-hmm. Crystal Palace isn't open, but we're going to open Be Our Guest. Do you want to work there? And if you answered yes, your new home was Be Our Guest until Crystal Palace opened again, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what happened to our server. I think she had 41 years of experience in Crystal Palace. Mm-hmm. And this was her first day at Be Our Guest. And that's great, right? So you think, well, restaurant, you know, restaurant serving is restaurant serving. But Jim, you know, for 41 years, yeah. her job as a server mm-hmm. was to get you drinks and bring you your check. Mm-hmm. So the idea of asking about appetizers or asking how you want your meat cooked was something that she hadn't done since the Reagan administration. <laughs> <laughs> it showed she was she was again absolutely nothing wrong. It was this was our first day back. Mm-hmm. I didn't do anything right on my mm-hmm. first day, but it was and it was a learning process for all of us. But it took two and a half hours to get through that lunch because we would be asked questions like, "I forgot to ask you what you want for an appetizer." Like, mm-hmm. "Do you want an appetizer?" And how? And then half an hour later, like, "How would you like your meats cooked?" By the way, mm-hmm. stuff like that. It's a learning experience for all of us. So bring some patience. But it was it's kind of funny because we we're all laughing about it like. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I didn't think of that, you know, because mm-hmm. like when I ordered, I didn't, I didn't, I ordered, uh, I had the pork tenderloin, which was delicious. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't think to specify how to cook it either. Cause I had, I haven't been in a restaurant where people have asked me that question now for, you know, <laughs> since, since March. So yeah. I didn't know either. Um, it was kind of funny though. It's like, yeah, we're, we're all getting used to some new things. So it was kind of great, but um, we all had a good laugh about it. Everyone was super nice. No, I, I, that's a good, that's a good attitude to have in yeah. this situation. Yeah. And the food was excellent. Like I said, best, best meal I've had in, in best dinner I've had in be our guest ever. Mm-hmm. So that was a, and also to the air conditioning in there is just amazing. So uh, not only the air conditioning, but they mm-hmm. actually do bring beast out mm-hmm. to see you. And again, everyone's first day, so mm-hmm. we're in the rose garden, the rose room, right? Mm-hmm. Where the um, the portraits are, sort of mm-hmm. the, you walk in, it's to the right. Yep. And we're in there and Beast comes out and he is supposed to uh, come down the middle, go to the right, bow and wave to everyone, walk to our side, which is the left, bow and wave to everyone. So he does it. He walks down the, he walks into the room, turns to the right, bows to everyone, starts walking back. And uh, right before he's supposed to stop and bow, he, I guess, doesn't see the table and chairs that are in front of him. And he walks into the table and chairs and almost falls down. He actually has to like grab and steady himself. And then he's like, okay, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. Stand up straight, wave to everyone, turn around slowly and leave. Again, first day for everyone, Jim. First day for everyone. Especially that costume the 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 weight the feet jim the feet yeah because again you the the feet are two feet long right Mm -hmm. and you haven't walked in those in those things in in four months yeah so it was two and a half hours for lunch at Mm -hmm. one point i i said i think this is how the servants in beast castle actually became inanimate (laughs) objects like i think at, at this point i'm turning into a fork 
But a comfortably cool fork. Yeah, it was, again, the the air conditioning was fantastic. Anyway, Mm -hmm. get out of that. And we went on a few more rides. A couple of other things to note. There are uh, maskless relaxation stations, they're called. Mm -hmm. One is in Frontierland over by the Pirates Adventure. So right by uh, the the back entrance to Picos Bills Mm -hmm. by a Pirates Adventure. There's one there. It's got hand sanitizers on the way in, on the way out. It's shaded, but you can sit there, charge your phone without your mask on, and be socially distant from everyone. The other one is at the old fireworks dessert party location in Tomorrowland Terrace. Mm-hmm. And those are nice because I think they're actually doing some like semi-air conditioning there. Mm-hmm. So my tip for listeners is go grab a drink, like a, a venti iced, ice water mm-hmm. at Starbucks, and then bring it in there and drink it, and you'll really cool off very, very fast. So Tomorrowland Terrace is the way mm-hmm. to, uh, the way to be. So so that was really really good. A couple of other things. I was in Buzz Lightyear. Uh, I think there's some new effects in Buzz Lightyear. So I think when our listeners go on this, tell me if you see new effects or if it's just the fact that I was uh, I'm always concentrating on targets. But I think there's some new effects there. And that said, there are a couple of rides that opened up that maybe could have used a little bit of a once over. So on Carousel of Progress yesterday, the background music wasn't working in the first couple of scenes. So there's no like background noise, no birds chirping, no, um, no harmonies going on with, uh, with John and as he's singing the song or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Also John's foot kept tapping like really, really hard in the 1920s scene. So normally he moves his foot under the table a little bit, mm-hmm. but yesterday it was like this. It was like, you <laughs> feel <laughs> like John, is there something you want to tell us? <laughs> The other thing was on uh, Splash Mountain, uh, Mm -hmm. some effects aren't working. So the jumping water in the laughing place Mm -hmm. somehow isn't working. And then there's no jumping Br'er Rabbit on there. Six million dollar rabbit that so rarely works. I know. And that's the thing I was looking for. Like I could have, I understand the rabbit thing, but the jumping water, Mm -hmm. like why is the jumping water effect not working? If you saw the line outside of uh, the Briar Patch. uh, So yeah. So there was a four hour virtual line for merch at Splash Mountain yesterday. And I don't understand that because the ride's not closing tomorrow. No, no. that, That we are literally two years out. If that, yeah, you know, so. from, from the closure. But on the other hand, for both the cast member preview and the annual pass holder preview, if you wanted to buy a giant pile of merch, Disney was perfectly happy to let you buy a giant pile of merch. And I was talking with somebody about this just last night, and it's just like the park's been closed for for months. You know that they are certainly not going to restrict sales of anything at this moment. Further around down the line. There may be some discussions about people using their annual pass holder discount to, but the other thing, frankly, is so many people seem to be wanting to cash in on Splash Mountain closing. They don't realize that out ahead of the actual close, Disney will prep your last ride merch. We're not even into the wave of the really collectible stuff. Yeah. uh, The only thing I can think of is that people were trying to get their hands on stuff to, because it's recently been in the news. And cash member discounts were like 40%. Wow. That's what I was going with. More power to them. But at the same time, just yesterday, they also did the preview event for Downtown Disney, opening that up into the footage Mm -hmm. of the people grabbing these huge piles of 65th anniversary merch just as it was loaded out on the floor. Remember, you and I talked on a previous show about whether the Disney World merch with the year 2020 on it would be non-collectible. It would be something that just, you know, nobody wants to remember this year for any reason. Mm-hmm. 
So what I'm told is that that will uh, that will at some point be buy one get one fifty percent off. Wow! Uh, and that's where the sale will start. And I'm like, okay. yeah, I, I totally understand. Like, it's it's going to be one of two things. Nobody's going to want to remember it, or mm-hmm. you're going to buy like one shirt and say, yeah, I was there. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I managed to go. So we'll see. All right. So that was my uh, those are my two days in the um in the parks. I'm heading back tomorrow mm-hmm. in the Magic Kingdom to actually test uh, touring plans. The lines for the the two days, obviously, I was there non-existent mm-hmm. i think the longest wait i had was at splash mountain for about 20 minutes one day and the reason why it was 20 minutes was the way that they're cleaning the ride is they're using those garden sprayers that we talked about before mm-hmm. and spraying down every ride vehicle and letting it run through the ride once completely empty and then i think somewhere behind the scenes somebody's actually rinsing off uh the chemicals as well so there's a delay like every i think they're doing that every 20 minutes so every 20 minutes there's a one cycle one ride cycle delay while they clean everything off. And we saw the same thing at Big Thunder Mountain. Mm-hmm. saw the same thing at Buzz on Under the Sea, Voyage of the Little Mermaid. Not only were they cleaning all the ride vehicles, but they were uh, cleaning the hand railings that you walk along and touch pretty extensively. Mm-hmm. Not only that, but there was a, not only was a cast member cleaning them, but there was a supervisor who was filming the cast member cleaning it to make sure that it got cleaned. So they're oh. super interested in cleaning stuff. Okay, okay, and more power to them that they're being this serious about it. Just the the four different times they changed the transportation angle. It'll be interesting going forward here as they ramp up attendance levels for the park and and that sort of thing. You know, how they change the cleaning patterns as well. So I'm hearing that uh, for tomorrow, for Saturday, they're expecting around 15,000 people. So I think that's the number that they're going to start with. I've heard that the cap Mm-hmm. that they're operating against is 30% or roughly 27,000 people. Mm-hmm. So they're not there yet, but I think okay. that's where they're, um, that's sort of like where their phase one limit is. I could be completely wrong on that. Oh, one thing I want to mention too, I stayed until park closing both days mm-hmm. and in now in lieu of the evening parade or evening fireworks, mm-hmm. what you have is the Fab Five characters and a bunch of singers and dancers mm-hmm. out on the second floor of the Main Street train station waving goodbye to you. And this was, I thought, the one area where Disney could do better from an entertainment perspective. And here's why. Mm-hmm. So the characters come out and obviously there's a, you know, a small crowd of people in Main Street who want to see them and they're filming and everything. And the characters are waving to you, but there's no audio to go along with this show. There's no music. There's no piped in voice of Mickey Mouse saying, you know, so long, see, you, you know, thank you for coming. Mm-hmm. It's, it's quiet. And the fact that it's quiet makes it unnerving. Like I think... If I could make one suggestion to Disney, and I'm not kidding about this, one suggestion about the way that you could make the, the day better, mm-hmm. there needs to be some sort of audio component with this at the end of the day. It's, it doesn't feel complete. And I realize this is something that they had to do ad hoc. There oh, wasn't no, no, you know, no, a year of yeah, plenty. Yeah, but they, they need something there. Well, at the I'll tell end of the you day. what, let, let me reach out to Bill Farmer and find out if there's anything in the works. I mean, the, even the voice performers have been impacted by COVID. Bill has been continuing to record stuff for the company. In fact, you know, he's got his new show on Disney Plus. It's a dog's life. Uh, but he's been recording stuff for the company at home in his in-home studio, which is sort of fire up the laptop and what do you need Goofy to say? So, yeah. you know, just wondering if, hey, can you get on the computer and we need Goofy to say a few things from the train station at Walt yeah. Disney World. Yeah. So I think, I think that's, that's the, it needs something else. And they'll, they'll figure that out. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but that was the one thing to me where you looked at it and it was like, it made that part of the day feel strange mm-hmm. because there was no background audio on it. If there was background audio or there was, or the characters were talking or something like that, 
it would have felt more complete. And so that was the one thing that made me feel like things are strangely different now. Okay. So that was my one piece. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was my day. So if, uh, if any of our listeners have any questions about um, how it went, let me know. Like I said, I'm in the parks uh, all weekend too. Also, by the way, sunscreen gym, sunscreen, sunscreen, sunscreen. It was, uh, I think I mentioned this, a heat index of 105 oh. when I was in the parks yesterday. And remember kids, that's in the shade. There apparently were a couple of spots on my legs where I missed sunscreen and they are now a lobster red. So I know everyone's got to take precautions for the coronavirus and everything, but it's still hot in Florida. You still need to wear sunscreen. You still need to bring protection for your skin. You still need to drink plenty of water and make sure that you take breaks in cool, cool areas. Don't let the, uh, don't let the coronavirus thing over overshadow all the other stuff that you got to do just because it's Florida in July. So do that. Got it. All right, Jim, speaking of attractions, it looks like uh, earlier this week, Disney sent out a couple of different surveys on uh, attractions in the park that are either not open or that we consider secondary attractions. And thank you to all of our listeners who sent these in. Jim, have you seen these surveys? Yeah. And I want to stress here that Disney will do a survey to the effect of, we know this, that you went to the park. And when you were there, did you go on this ride? And how did you feel about that? Yeah. This isn't that survey. No, this is, I've never seen these questions before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Justin sent in a survey about Enchanted Tigerum. Mm-hmm. Mike sent in a survey about Hall of Presidents. Sam sent in one for Country Bears and the American Adventure. Uh, Ross got one for Enchanted Tigerum again and Star Wars Launch Bay. Josh sent in one for PhilharMagic and Monsters Laugh Floor. And Mark got the Boneyard and Enchanted Tiki Room. What's your take on the selection of those attractions, Jim? Out of the ones you just listed, only Star Wars Launch Bay and the Boneyard mm-hmm. are walkthroughs. Everything else is a sit-down show, right? a sit-down audience show. And they were asking questions about Muppet Vision 3D. Oh, uh, well. right. Yeah, yeah. So you got to wonder in the current environment, just getting the sense of, and they were asking things specifically about, did you find the show dull? Mm. You know, those sorts of questions. You got to wonder in this situation where when you do a theater show, cleaning the theater, resetting the theater is that much more problematic than what you were just talking about with Splash, where, you know, you walk th- you know, through the queue and you clean off the handrails and every 20 minutes or so you, you wash down the ride vehicles. Right. You got to wonder if they're just sort of looking at the list and it's like, okay, is there something we could maybe pull out of the inventory for a while? With the exception of Star Wars Launch Bay and again, Boneyard, everything right. else is a sit-down show. Okay, so I, uh, I didn't realize that everything was a sit-down show. By the way, I think the Boneyard... Mm-hmm. And Star Wars Launch Bay are sort of benchmark attractions. I don't mm-hmm. think that they're the focus of these surveys. I think Disney no. wanted no. a secondary attraction to benchmark mm-hmm. answers for against the other shows. So mm-hmm. if you're talking about, for example, if Disney's going through the answers to Country Bears and they're mm-hmm. looking at the questions, they're looking at the answers that they got, they need to know if those answers are good or bad mm-hmm. relative to a comparable attraction that they're not worried about. And in that case, I think they picked Star Wars Launch Bay in the Boneyard. So those are the, sure. the benchmark attractions. No, absolutely. So I didn't uh, the uh, the point that their um, indoor attractions and that their shows are very good. The um, the thing that I looked at those I looked mm-hmm. at those attractions and the thing I thought was related to the the th- the conversion now of Splash Mountain to Princess uh, Tiana to Princess mm-hmm. and the Frog. I thought, are we worried about the cultural representations? 
in things like Enchanted Tiki Room or sort of the white male centric view of Hall of Presidents or the American Adventure or the Southern representations in Country Bears? And are we worried about these things now? By the way, totally changing the subject here for a second. Did you know there are additional verses to Mama Don't Whoop Little Buford? There's, there's a remix for there's the dance remix. Well, no, it turns out, you know, I, I'm in the car the other day with Nancy and, you know, Nancy, you know, the dad was a great enthusiast for country Western music and, and it's Homer and Jethro, right? Wait, hold on. Wait, Mama Don't Whoop a Little Buford is a real song? It's a real song. Like, you know, that, that it goes <laughs> on. At one point, they talk about the fact that they're, they're moving and not giving Little Buford their forwarding address. I mean, it's just... It's, <laughs> I honest to God, to this stage, I've seen that show a hundred times. I saw it yesterday. Yeah. I did not know that was a real. No, song. the exact same thing. Nancy pulls out her phone, fires it up, and I get to listen to this full three minute long, and they're all jokes of that style. In fact, I think the final verse is about we don't have to worry about Little Buford now because he's becoming a folk singer, which means he'll starve to death soon. <laughs> So, I mean, it's very 1960s, but it's it's very much worth seeking out. There's so much more that would look you know, involved in what's right. going on. I'm going to look life. this up on I'm going to look this up on YouTube now mm-hmm. as I uh, when we're done. All right, so real quick, Jim, let me go through some of the questions here. This mm-hmm. one is for Enchanted Tiki Room mm-hmm. that were uh, sent in by Justin. So it starts off with the uh, question about what the which of the following best describes where you live, a city, a suburb, or a rural area. And it asks you for your zip code. And then it asks uh, whether you're a parent or guardian of a child under 18. It asks whether your financial situation has changed in 2020. Asks you for income. Asks whether you're employed. Asks your level of education. Asks your ethnicity and gender. And then the first question is, which of the following changes would improve Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room attraction? Check all that apply. Longer length, familiar characters, shorter length, new characters, fewer characters, more characters, more of a story, more detail, more interactivity, more technology, needs repairs, or none of the above. And Justin checked none of the above. The uh, next question is, please respond yes or no to the following statements, which describe how you feel when visiting the Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room attraction. Are you transported to a different world, place, or time? Do you forget about everyday cares and worries? Did you lose track of time or have time passed by quickly? Were you completely captivated and immersed? Were you... (laughs) I think the word they're looking for here, Disney, the word you're looking for here is is hostage. I Or more to the point, I thought, hang on, I need to reset my watch for 1963. Please go on with the the completely captivated. Okay. Were you inside a story, place, or world you love being a part of? Did you experience things you could not in real life? Did you enjoy how different scenes bring this attraction to life? And did it expand your imagination and give you the ability to fantasize? Oh, boy, the uh, then uh, for Enchanted Tiki Room, that's going to be that's a that's a 
That's a tough set of questions, man. Especially at Disney. Nobody writes a survey unless they're looking for a specific response. And I'm they're, sorry. They're, 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 there's a, they have an area of concern, and they want to make sure that the questions that they ask address that area of concern. Oh, oh right? come on, Linda. You know, that, surveys the, the, you know, that, 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 that survey basically tells you. How would you off. like us to kill this attraction? You, well, no, you, you know, should I we mean, run it over? Should we build it? <laughs> you know, I mean, seriously, that's the Tanya Harding of surveys, all right? You know, just sort of like, how? How hard could you more could you club that show? I mean, it- to be fair, Justin's review of this thing was really good. He liked mm. it. Okay. Okay. All right. But- so the next uh, question: uh, Which of the following describe how you felt during your Walt Disney Enchanted Tiki Room attraction experience? Check all that mm-hmm. apply: anger, love, <laughs> romantic, pleasure, worried, nostalgic, disappointed, awe, wonderment, protected, sad, safe, energized, childlike, nervous, irritated. Happy, excited, scared, surprised, troubled, amused, confused, stressed, interest. Like some some of these, Mm. I think it should be interested, not interest, right? Mm -hmm. Anxious, exhausted, comfortable, confident, fearful, joyful, passionate, and admiration. Okay. Mm. How would you characterize the attraction? Check all that apply. Thrilling, broken, entertaining, slow, tiring, boring, fast-paced, romantic, modern, Shabby, neglected, deteriorated, loud, immersive, irritating, funny, edgy, exciting, magical. Oh, God, Disney, don't be predictable. Mm. Silly, clean, creepy, annoying, fake, uninteresting, suspenseful, bad, predictable, touching, disturbing, uplifting, original, depressing, scary, confusing, unoriginal, fun, innovative, mean, transformed, or calming. And then uh, how do you rate each of the elements? And the elements were uh, you rate them from poor to Mm. excellent. It's safety, temperature inside the attraction, lighting, cleanliness, background effects, narrator, accessibility, thrill or excitement, amount of effort required to experience the attraction, special effects, theme, elements of the story, storyline, sensor smells, available seating, cast member theming, uh, opportunities to take photos, animatronics or characters, upkeep and maintenance, the time setting, the length of the attraction, the designer view of the attraction is seen from the outside entrance and the background music. And then here's the most interesting thing. I think the most interesting part of the survey based on your experience of the uh, Walt Disney world's enchanted tiki room, does this attraction seem like it's most likely for young children, older children, teens, young adults, older adults, all ages or no one. And then after that are a series. And I think this part right here is the meat of the attraction. Okay. It's a series of free-form text questions, mm-hmm. open-ended, um, where Disney asks questions like, what did you dislike about Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room? By the way, that's the first of the free-form text questions. Mm-hmm. So that's the, that's the important one, right? All right. What are your memories of your first experience of the attraction? Were you aware of the, are, are you now aware of the background and storyline of the attraction? And then what did you like most about it? How likely are you to recommend it to a friend? And then there's a question that says, how would you describe this attraction to a friend or family member? Please describe it in as much detail as possible. So this isn't like what you thought about it, but how you would explain this attraction to someone else. If there's anyone from Disney who has access to these survey answers, I don't want, I don't ask for a lot in life, Mm -hmm. but if you could send me (laughs) the responses from that people give to this question, for different attractions, I would love to see it. So Justin actually wrote, 
he would describe the show as a cute Hawaiian immersive animatronic bird show, which I totally get. Like I'm, I'm on board with that, mm-hmm. but I would love to see um, what people uh, say about that. I just don't understand the timing of this. We've had Bob Chapek on the most recent quarterly's earnings call admit that $900 million worth of construction and, and stuff that's actually in motion in various stages, you know, around the parks is now on pause, you know, as they evaluate, you know, because face it, the business has changed because of COVID and coronavirus. So given that situation, what is even the point of the info gathering? If they've got $900 million worth of construction paused, you know, it's like- No, I get it. And that's why I think it's related to the Splash Mountain thing. They want to get ahead of any other story like that so remember, they were able to say with Splash Mountain, when it became an issue, mm-hmm. they were able to say, hey, we've been working on this thing for a year. Mm-hmm. Now's a great time to share it, mm-hmm. right? All right. So if, the, if other people start, point, if people start pointing out, well, you know, the American Adventure or the Hall of Presidents is kind of like, you know, and granted, most of our presidents have been white men, right? If mm-hmm. some people start saying, okay, Hall of Presidents is kind of a white guy centric view of American history, mm-hmm. right? They want to be able to say, you know what? We've been thinking about this, the same thing for a year or two. Mm-hmm. I think they want to get ahead of any potential issues with the theming of rides that have, were conceived in a different era. Mm-hmm. How does that sound? It certainly sounds like a plausible explanation for this. But it, it just what's actually going on in the company at this time? It's just the notion of, okay, you've gathered all the information. Okay, you have that in report. Okay, that's on my desk. And there it will yeah, sit. But I think that's it. I mean, do I think that they're going to commit, you know, bulldozers to country bear jamboree? <laughs> yeah. No, they're not. Yeah. Right. But they could hand a project like, how would you change country bear jamboree to be more inclusive? Mm-hmm. They could hand that to a new Imagineer mm-hmm. as a, you know, as one of their, you know, three projects that they're working on mm-hmm. now. So that a year from now, if the question comes up and says, you know, this is kind of a, this kind of makes Southerners look like rednecks and maybe this isn't, you know, this isn't the way we should portray people from the South. They could come out and say, oh, Kevin Rafferty has been working on Country Fair Jamboree <laughs> retheme for you know, since, since, you know, 2020. And here's the, some ideas that he's thought up for it. You know, it's. And here's our new two and a half hour long version of Mommer Don't Warp with Little Buford. Yes, <laughs> exactly, I'm like, exactly. okay. We're going to bring it the full. I, you know, I think that's it. Okay. Yeah. Oh, by the way, uh, Expedition Everest was another attraction that was in there. And I think. I think some of these attractions are in there because Disney knows that mm-hmm. they're relatively, I mean, they're non-controversial. I don't know that Expedition Everest has any sort of cultural representation there other than the Nepalese are known for climbing mountains, mm-hmm. which is, seems to be fine. Um, so they, they think things like Expedition Everest, the Boneyard, which has essentially no theme, yeah. um, and Star Wars Launch Bay may be the benchmarks. Actually, Star Wars Launch Bay may be, I think the thing they might be looking for there is lack of female characters to interact with. Because you think about it, it's Chewie, Darth Vader, and two robots, but no women. Mm-hmm. And the irony is, if you go into Galaxy's Edge, there's Ray. You know, in fact, you know that you were talking yeah. about. You know, in fact, that's one of my favorite stories you've told. The, in the Ray past interaction with yeah, the Ray interaction with Guy was just one of the best character interactions yeah, I've yeah. ever seen. The opening day of Galaxy's Edge. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite Disneyland memories. Mm-hmm. And I, I wasn't even a part of it. I was just watching Guy, but I was living vicariously through him. And it was great. All right, so Jim, that's we're, uh, that's it for the uh, the news. When we uh, come back. You're going to tell us all about the rides Disney was planning to build at their Disney's America theme park in Virginia back in the 1990s. 
All right, Jim, we were talking a couple of weeks ago uh, about, uh, I think we were t- it was around D-Day. It was mm-hmm. actually about a month ago. We were talking about one of the rides that Disney was thinking about building for the Disney's America theme park that was related to D-Day. And you thought that'd be a great story to do for a regular show feature. So let's let's talk about that. This was back in the 90s, remember? Mm-hmm. Disney was going to build a, an American history-themed theme park in the suburbs of Washington, D.C., in Virginia, right? And we've done shows about this in the past, but we haven't really focused on the attractions, the unique attractions that Disney was going to build for that park. And that's what you want to talk about today, right? Yep. And before we get started here, I do want to point out that just last week, Drew Taylor for Collider did an 8,000-word article on Disney's America. And there's a lot of stuff in there that's never gotten out. And Drew, as part of this piece, does in fact talk about these very attractions we're going to mention today that what uh, Len was just referencing to was the centerpiece attraction for Victory Field, which was going to be basically the part of the park that really celebrated the greatest generation. It was America coming out of the Great Depression into World War II. And the notion was you'd have these wonderfully restored bombers from the 40s positioned on the airfield. But as you actually went into the hangar, Mm -hmm. it was going to be Disney's first in-park use of VR. Now, Disney America was announced in November of 1993. And sadly, the the version that was going to get built in Prince William uh, County uh, got its plug pulled in September of 94. But how many of our listeners remember when Innoventions first opened at Epcot in, I want to say, June of 1994, and there was the Imagineering Lab. Do you remember that, Len, with the test of Disney Vision? Vaguely. What was it? How did it work again? You basically put this giant visor setup in front of you, and what they did is that you then climbed aboard a a faux carpet, and they did about a two- or three-minute-long demo of the magic carpet attraction that would eventually appear in Disney Quest. You floated through the streets of Agrabah interacting with folks and you answered questions correctly or, or got the right pwn totals. You could eventually get into the Cave of Wonders and deal with Jafar and all that. But this was the two and three minute long test. But Disney Vision was initially developed for this D-Day experience. The idea was, weird sort of way, very much like the Void. They put you in a harness They put the VR helmet on you, and then they started running footage of you in the doorway of a plane that was flying over the coast of France during D-Day. And you then jumped out of the plane. You stepped out of the doorframe, and you're now dangling just six or so inches off the floor. But you're, you know, they're blowing air in your face, and they're they're moving the harness. And the footage you're telling you is you you're falling from five thousand feet up, you know. And then eventually your parachute, you know, opens, and you gently land to the ground. So wait, you're you're in a harness, and you're like swinging as this is happening. This is uh, what's going on, Jim. And- the pool of urine below me <laughs> <laughs> for this ride. <laughs> they would have to clean this ride out every every five minutes there is no way i could handle that right i'm telling you right now the Mm -hmm. the the janitorial service at at, at disney killed disney's america it wasn't Mm -hmm. it it wasn't the people on the outside who protested that everyone who did this 
as they were putting together Disney's America, it's like, oh my God. And it's just the whole idea of this park is it brought history to life and the notion of this is what our grandparents did, you know, when they oh, were yeah, born no, no, too. No, yeah. I'm I'm mildly hyperventilating just thinking about mm-hmm. being on a ride that simulates jumping out of an airplane. But just between the having to explain the advisor, having to hook up each individual, that this was an attraction that literally had no capacity. Right. They figured, all right, if we had ten of individual setups and then had the cat, you know, the cast members there to handle this, they were thinking we'd be lucky if we get a hundred people through this an hour. Oh yeah, I mean, it would never. It'd have to be a premium experience. You'd have to pay extra for it or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So much of what was proposed for Disney's America eventually ended up in California Adventure, and yeah. it was actually coming out of the the crashing and burning of Disney's America that people were like, no, I really love this aviation idea. I just, we got to do something that has more capacity. And then, and ironically enough, that's where we got Soren, where, you know, oh, okay. you get 87 people at any one time. And and even then it was, for the Disneyland version, it was the, the two versions theater side by side and that's what they eventually did with the epcot version but only to add the third theater to try to make it to meet with demand could you imagine blending a vr headset with soren you could do the d-day invasion thing because you could have the um so the vr would give you your own personal Mm -hmm. view of looking around right but you could modify the soren ride vehicle so that it gives you sort of like the uh the shock line shock Mm-hmm. When the, your parachute opens, right, you could bounce you up and down real quick. And then it could sway you side to side like you're floating down. Ah, okay. All right. In-house, given the way this thing was shaped, Disney's name for the Disney Vision helmet was the bedpan, you know, because oh. it was, <laughs> you know, just that shape. You, you know, you, you put your head in the hole and you looked into where the, down into where the screens were to get the right focal length. Sure. There was a lot of stuff to this effect that, that they were going to try to do. I mean, for example, in Enterprise, the part of the, the park that celebrated American industry, they set up a mock factory town. And this is where you got the Industrial Revolution, which was this roller coaster that went through an operating steel plant. And so Ooh. this this these amazing pieces of concept art where your inverted coaster is going right by where molten steel is being poured into a mold. And, you know, you you can see the writer's faces lit by, you know, the bright orange glow of the stuff. But, uh, of course, all of this is, you know, special effects, illusion. There were, of course, going to be faux heat, faux steam elements when Disney's America got shut down. But they had done so much work on this faux steel effect and this heat and the steam Len, you and I have talked about the the Atlantis theme attraction, Fire Mountain, that was going to oh, be right. built for the uh, the Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World. All of the the molten steel became molten lava for that attraction. So every piece of R and D that had been done for that coaster got you know moved over to the Atlantis theme coaster. Oh, that's good. So much of the the work that was done, whether it was the Lewis and Clark expedition raft ride that was supposed to go through the Native America section. So much of the development work that was done for that either then got used for Cali River Rapids for Animal Kingdom or likewise Grizzly River Rum at a DCA. And Disney's America wasn't a cold start. It wasn't a question of Disney came up with this idea in the early 90s and that's where Project, in fact, it was called Project V for a while. 
uh, which is why everyone thought, oh, Disney's building a park in Venezuela. And it's like, no, this is, you know, just the code name that they use. But it turns out there had been an earlier attempt to develop a regional theme park really? for the Walt Disney Company. And oddly enough, our good friend Buzz Price was the one who, when Disney put together the idea, went out and did all of the, the work to find out if this thing was actually viable. And so next time you can get in there, I need you to look for, they have a file for Disney's Texposition, which supposedly was going to be Disney's answer to the the Texas State Fair, which is attended by millions of people. But it was every year. But the whole notion was like, we should move into this market. You know, the, we should find a way into this space. So it was Disney investigating the regional festival market and the notion of creating an attraction that wouldn't necessarily be open for the whole, I mean, not even for the whole summer. You know, just it would only be open for six to eight weeks. But, you know, the notion of could we create a, a series of ride shows and attractions, entertainment show spaces that we could then mothball for, for much of the year. But as soon as it's time for this to open up, we'd be ready and, we, you know, we could do Disney quality entertainment. And it oddly enough, supposedly it was that Disney saw that, well, look, you know, that's going to be tough for our business model to make work. But on the other hand... Right. To build a park in Virginia, which has its own weather issues, Disney's America was only supposed to be open seven days a week for seven months out of the year land. They were, I want to say, late winter and also the, the early fall. It would go only be open from Wednesdays to Sundays. And then starting in like October all the way through New Year's, it was only open on weekends. And... The way Disney's America was going to be built, you know, because that was all located inside of a hangar, you could operate that as a standalone experience. And the plan was that they were going to contact schools all over Virginia and offer them the opportunity for the day to bus students down so they could, in fact, do this D-Day experience. But they would also bring in veterans to talk with them about their actual experience during World War II. So it could be something, you know, the park could operate during those times of year when it wasn't open to the public, but they could sell this special package to schools where they would just drive their school buses onto the tarmac, park next to those World War II bombers, and then sure. just bring the kids into the faux hangar. And, you know, it's like, well, this is the D-Day experience, and this is an actual veteran who jumped out of a plane during D-Day, and let's hear his story. Oh, so I've been to a, I've been to a couple of uh, air museums where they actually have veterans who mm -hmm. worked on the planes there to ask to answer questions. So in the Palm Springs Air Museum in Palm Springs, California, which by the way is a fabulous mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. air museum, you actually get to crawl in some of the planes um, oh. with yeah. people who are in them. And let me just say, it's like being in a tin can. Like mm -hmm. I, I am number one amazed that any of these things actually flew in the air, let alone got shot at. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. It's it's kind of scary. But yeah, but that uh, that really makes the uh, the experience better to have somebody who was actually in the plane. Oh, absolutely. Talk to you about the plane. Yeah, absolutely. So, with the rise of of Oculus Rift, and think about where we are entertainment wise. How many of us are sitting at home? How many of us watched Hamilton last week? This may be the new market. Right. This may be the new world for entertainment. So these sorts of experience, you know, that this World War II jumping out of a plane 
could be a theme park experience that Disney would then tailor for home use. You could, you know, just put on your your headset and live this ride experience. Wow. Like I said, you know, if you want to get the full nuts and bolts of, you know, why things happened for uh, Disney's America. In fact, what's particularly fun about the piece that Drew's written is he he does get into how close we came to getting the last version of the Disney's America, Disney's American Celebration, uh, how close we came to getting that built at Knott's Berry Farm. Hmm. Knott's Berry Farm was up for sale in uh, 1997, and Disney had committed... $600 million to building a Disney's America when they walked away. So that was the price point they were looking at. And and so here was the Knotts family putting this theme park up for, for grabs. And you can remember that right out in front of Knotts is a full-sized recreation of Independence Hall from Philadelphia that, that they built full-size yep. back in July of 66. So much of the park was celebrating the American West and that sort of thing. And and Disney, in the end, went over, kicked the tires, and they were like, yeah, we could fit a lot of what we proposed for Virginia here. The downside is how do we get guests over from Anaheim? You know, how do we get them yeah. to Buena Park? And there was, at one point, they, they sussed out what it would cost to create a monorail system or an extension of the monorail that would take people from Disneyland Resort all the way over, but it was between the rights of way, the clearances, it blew the financials. So they were like, uh, I guess we got to let this go. But the thing that particularly struck in the Imagineers craw was that when uh, Cedar Fair finally swooped in mm-hmm. after Disney passed and, and got Knott's Berry Farm, Len, they got the entire park and the surrounding lands for $245 million, less than oh, half. And the, the, land, the land itself is probably worth that now. Yeah. And it's just sort of like, you know, half, less than half of what Disney was going to spend at Disney's American Virginia. So it's just, it's a fascinating project because so much Disney history filtered through it and it influenced so many things that came after. You know, there are still ideas that the company is still sort of kicking the tires of. And it's like, can we do that only, say, for home use? So, Wow, that's fantastic. Yep. I will uh, look at the text position uh, thing um, because there's a document on it at the UCF Best Price Archives. I'll see if I can get a copy of it from the people who uh, work there. Yeah, yeah. No, it just it was Buzz who was just sort of sussing out can can we be in the regional fair market and or regional festival market, which then opened the door to well, can we do a regional park that doesn't necessarily operate year round? So all right, I'll check it out, and then if, uh, if it looks interesting, we'll do a show on it. That sounds great. Also, uh, good job, Drew, on the uh, on the research behind uh, Disney's America. No, he did a good job. Fantastic. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the Disney Dish show today. Please head on over to DisneyDish.BandCamp.com where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. On next week's regular show, I will be back with preview days for Animal Kingdom, Epcot, and hopefully Hollywood's studios, and we'll tell you all about it. You can find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me at touringplans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who's just bought his $37 All the Tacos You Can Eat VIP Pass for the Fredericksburg Taco, Tequila, and Cerveza Fest next weekend, July 24th and 25th at the Bankersmith Dance Hall in beautiful downtown Fredericksburg, Texas. While Aaron's doing that, please go onto iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We'll see you on the next show.